When Lara Bingle was just a teenager, she spent three weeks with married football star Brendan Favola. Their handful of meetings would send her career, her reputation and her life careening down a tumultuous new path. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Michelle Andrews, welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast. I'm nervous. Why am I nervous? I know. I'm actually not that nervous. <laughs> We're sitting behind the same mics. We always sit behind in the same positions. But we are very, very excited to be here for our first ever episode for a new series that we're producing and yeah. hosting. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't know where else to start and you didn't know where else to start apart from Lara Bingle and Brendan Favola. This is a story that captured our interests and our hearts from 10 years ago right up until today. So we are very, very excited to start off with these two. Yeah. And I think when I think back to my early memories of this story, I was quite young and I imagine a lot of our listeners were too. So a lot of the details definitely got lost. Like I just remember stuff about an affair, stuff about a photo, but in Mm. terms of timelines about how far this was apart, how damaging it was for her reputation, I probably hadn't quite grasped. Mm. Yeah. I think my standout memories from Lara Bingle in the like noughties or the early 2010s is just that Everyone was very hellbent on depicting her as this incredibly problematic figure. Like yeah. people almost treated Lara Bingle with suspicion. Like what does she really want out of her public persona? I remember a lot of people in the media would kind of roll their eyes when her name would come up. And yet she's still one of the biggest celebrities, I would say, in Australia. And of course now we're looking at this 10 years later and so is Brendan Favola, that when this all unraveled, he was an AFL star, but we're sitting here now and he's one of the biggest radio personalities in the country. He does host a Melbourne primetime breakfast program. So I don't know. I'm very, very excited. There's a lot for us to kind of unravel and tease out. Yeah, exactly. And I think it should be noted before we move on. Obviously, Lara Bingle is now Lara Worthington. I think for the purpose of these two episodes, we are talking about the treatment of Lara Bingle before she was Lara Worthington. So we will be referring to her as Lara Bingle. I think the reason that we really wanted to do this story, not least because it's always been on our radar, but I think too... Lara is still very much a person who the news, who the public care about. She's married to Sam Worthington. They are back in Australia at the moment after Sam, her husband, landed the lead role in a Sydney theatre company production of a dark comedy called Appropriate. He is also due to film Avatar in New Zealand. So they will be here for a while. And I think what I find really interesting is that if you do a quick Google search of her name and click on the little news tab, she's being papped by the Daily Mail between two to three times a week. Mm, I feel like interest in Lara Bingle has never died down no matter how much she has tried to retreat from the spotlight which is fascinating in and of itself. Yeah so this is part one this is part one of a two-part series. Mish are you ready to rewind to 2006? Let's do it! All right, so Zara, we are in the summer of 2006, the very, very early months of 2006, and Cronulla teenager Lara Bingle has just landed the biggest job of her modelling career so far. So Lara auditioned and beat out tons of other models to score the gig in a television advert for Tourism Australia. If that sounds like a small job, it's not. There's actually $180 million being pumped into this one ad. It's really something that our entire tourism industry is pinning 
hang all of its hopes on to boost the economy down here, boost the amount of people traveling, particularly from places like Canada, Europe, Japan. Yeah. And that's the thing. This is not an ad that's just going to see Lara's face beamed around our country, but all over the world. The other thing that really should be noted about this ad is it's pretty problematic in the way that it tried to sell Australia. And maybe that's not surprising given it was 2006. And Mm. I think we're probably still pretty backwards in 2021 about how we're trying to sell Australia. But this feels pretty extreme when you look back on this ad. Yeah, exactly right. It definitely positions Aboriginal Australians and Indigenous Australians as people who are here to perform, literally perform for the tourists that come to our country. To say it's gross and incredibly, incredibly white is definitely an understatement. Yeah, let's play a clip so it can kind of trigger your memory a little bit with regards to what else was in this ad. We bought you a beer. And we've had the camel shampooed. We've saved you a spot on the beach. And we've got the sharks out of the pool. So where the bloody hell are you? Right, so the funny thing about this ad, and we didn't play all of it just then, we only gave you guys a snippet, but it is a minute long. And I did not remember so much of that ad. I really only remember Lara Bingle walking down the beach. But in reality, she's maybe 5% of an ad where dozens of other people are involved. I reckon the other people that started in that ad would have the biggest fun fact at dinner parties and stuff being like, I was in the ad with Lara Bingle's Where the Bloody Hell Are You? But nobody remembers me now. One fun fact from that ad is that ScoMo, our Prime Minister Scott Morrison, was actually head of Tourism Australia at the time that this ad was created. So this ad was his making, which is very interesting because the ad was an absolute disaster. Do you think Scott Morrison picked Lara Bingle? Like no. how much input would Absolutely he have not. in this? Oh, come on. You know how this industry works. There would be the Tourism Australia <laughs> that have an agency working to kind of hire these people. I wonder if Scotty from marketing is walking around going, I created that model. Well, he also created an absolute disaster of an ad. So he was managing director of Tourism Australia at the time. So the performance of the Where the Bloody Hell Are You campaign did kind of rest pretty firmly on his shoulders, Mish. Because it was touted as one of the most exorbitant ads in Australian history, it became pretty bad Mm. when the ad was then banned from playing in places like the UK, Germany and Japan because of the word bloody. Yeah, well, it was because of the word bloody in the UK. Canada took it off air for using the word hell. (laughs) Singapore insisted on diluting the messaging to just so where are you, which doesn't really have the same ring to it as so where the bloody hell are you. Even our Prime Minister at the time, Kevin Rudd, publicly slammed the campaign as an absolute rolled gold disaster, which I just find hilarious that this was like way back in 2006 and look at where we are now. Like the man who made this ad and who had an epic fail with this ad is now in charge of our country. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the silliest facts I found when we were doing our digging for this story, Mish, was the Sydney Morning Herald did report that as part of lobbying for the Australian government to get this ad put back on screens, Lara was flown to the UK with <laughs> Tourism Minister Fran Bailey to overturn the ban. That is a report from a Sydney Morning Herald from the time. But because Lara's very iconic line, where the bloody hell are you, came as she stepped out of the ocean at Fingal Spit in like, this incredible triangle bikini, 
some Aussie tabloids started to call her the face of a nation. Yeah, well, I mean, it speaks to how gorgeous she is and was, right? Like, she really only spent a few seconds on this ad and yet she became the headline from this tourism campaign. Everyone instantly became obsessed with this teenager and she was a teenager. She was only 18, freshly 18 when this was filmed. So it speaks a lot to just how iconic that beachy Australian look that Lara Bingle has is because she made such an impact in such a short amount of time. Yeah, exactly. And it should be noted as well before we go anywhere that Lara was only 18 when all of this happened. She was a child, Mm. just an adult. So she was just 18 when everything kicked off. And I think what became very clear very early is that she wasn't just the face of a nation, but that she was going to carve a pretty successful career out of this. Like she was getting job offer after job offer. Yeah. So the Nine Network really saw something in Lara Bingle and decided to snap her up in any way that she would fit. So in July of 2006, Channel 9 aired a show called Torval and Dean's Dancing on Ice. Apparently it was a primetime celebrity ice dancing show hosted by Jamie Jury and Lara Bingle was one of the celebrities casted. Did you ever watch this? I've never even heard of it. I actually got to say I did watch this because (laughs) you know what I when we were like researching this and I saw this show Torval and Dean's Dancing on Ice I was like I don't remember this name I've never heard of this show but what sparked my memory was the fact that Jake Wall Jennifer Hawkins now husband won the show and I was like I remember watching a dancing show with Jake Wall (laughs) anyway it only lasted one season so it turned out to be a pretty poor man's Dancing with the Stars (laughs) but Channel 9 did love Lara they saw her I think as a huge potential talent for future shows so when the big finale episode of their marquee sports program the AFL footy show came up in September of the same year they did ask her to make a guest appearance yeah it's all a bit of a throwback right because now obviously the AFL footy show isn't on air anymore it became super irrelevant in the past five years in particular. But in 2006, this was like the glory days of the AFL footy show. This was when they were hosting those massive AFL grand final footy shows at Rod Laver Arena, where people would go in like tens of thousands. I went to one of these. I'm pretty sure I was either at this one or at the one in 2005. I remember the Black Eyed Peas performed. It was a huge cultural moment. And part of of Lara being involved was that they always did this massive player review. So basically they involved AFL stars in these dance routines and these singing routines. And it was kind of a mixture of like a legitimate performance that people would find entertaining, but also like lighthearted comedy. One of the videos I watched on YouTube from this year was of a bunch of players dressing up as nuns. I didn't find the video of Brendan Favola or like how Lara was involved in the AFL Grand Final show that year. It's like sure to say that it was something stupid and silly and fun. Yeah, which is very much the tone of the show. And it was at the rehearsals of the Grand Final AFL footy show where Lara met footy player Brendan Favola. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fair to say that for someone like Lara who came from Cronulla, which is in Sydney, AFL wasn't on the radar and probably still isn't on the radar Mm. as much for people in New South Wales. Yeah, well, I'm thinking about NRL and I honestly couldn't name many players, particularly players from interstate. I might be able to manage a few Melbourne players, but from ones in Sydney, I think that's a good comparison. Would you be able to name any NRL players? No, not at all. So I think it would be in this context fair to say that she probably didn't have a huge clue about a lot of these players, including Brendan Favola. But if you haven't heard of Brendan Favola or you yourself listening to this may not be so AFL inclined, that is so fine. We are here with the facts. (laughs) In 2006, Brendan Favola was one of the most 
famous AFL footy players in Melbourne. He was also the most prolific goal kicker too. So he was the common medalist that year, Mish. Yeah. So he was a very jocular, jovial kind of personality. He was at the peak of his career. He was 25 in 2006 and the footy world loved him. The media loved him. He was involved in the footy show that year and then was kind of like a recurring character in the subsequent years after that. He was someone who had also been selected for the All-Australian team. He was like a Carlton star who at this stage in his career was also pegged to be a future captain. He had had a few off-field controversies, but his talent on the footy field was so extreme, so noteworthy that people still thought he could get that top job. Yeah, exactly. He was also married. He had married his partner, Alex, at St. John's Church in Turak just 11 months earlier. And he had two kids at home. One of them was just a baby. Mm. But with all of this in mind, Mish, he was still a pretty notorious bad boy. As you say, in 2001, so about five years before this 2006 period that we're talking about, he was involved in an attempted theft of jackets from a dry cleaner in North Melbourne. <laughs> Very niche as far as crime goes. <laughs> he was fined $8,000 by Carlton for the incident. And then in 2006, he assaulted a barman during a tour of Ireland with the Australian International Rules Team. So if you make the Australian International Rules Team, you go to Ireland and play like this weird hybrid of football and Gaelic. And so it seems like a bit of a piss up though, this whole trip. Would that be fair to say? It doesn't even happen anymore. But back then, everyone kind of just laughed at the whole thing. It was just a bit of fun between two different international codes. There was another incident that Brendan Favola had been involved in up until the point that he met Lara in 2004. He was involved in a bit of an ambiguous altercation at Crown Casino. It wasn't really clear based on reports at the time what exactly happened, just that he was escorted from the venue and the media somehow got wind of that. I think what's pretty clear going back through the archives and going back through the you know reports around Lara and Brendan though is that we can safely assume that Lara was pretty taken by Brendan and that he probably was with her. Some years later, a former footballer, Dermot Brereton, who was a pretty big name in his own right, told SEN Radio about their meeting mm-hmm. and he he said his version of events was, she came over to me and said, I just met that guy, Brendan Favola, what's he like? And Dermot replied to her saying, I said, he's a rat bag, but he's a good bloke. And then she said to him, does he have a girlfriend? I said, no, he doesn't have a girlfriend, but that pretty blonde next to him is his wife. Yeah. So that's Dermot Brereton's story. Lara Bingle's story is a little bit different to that one. She later told media that when she met Brendan Favola, she had no idea who she was. She didn't realize that he was in a relationship. She says that he led her to believe that he was single and open. Yeah, but what we do know is that they did engage in an affair. I think it seems to be a very short affair. Lara says it was three weeks. Other people say it was five, but we're not talking about a long time here. Mm. And as you said, they're in separate states. So they only really would have spent a string of days together in the months afterwards. So anyway, we know that they were only together for a short amount of time. And what I find very interesting about this story is that Whispers did somehow find their way into News Corp papers. Mm. And News Corp papers did seek comment from Alex Favola just before the story had properly broken with evidence and she said at that time it's not nice it's quite humiliating whether or not anything went on I don't know if it's true I'll have a lot to say like every relationship you go through ups and downs yeah 
complicated as well because there were whispers that her friends were talking to the media and that they were saying that she'd had suspicions ever since the pair met at the AFL footy show grand final. News Corp also reached out to Lara Bingle at this time. They did kind of, I mean, I don't want to say it cost. I don't know if they accosted her, but I can imagine them accosting her when she was actually being paid to attend the opening of a Chapel Street boutique. This is the most 2006 thing I've ever heard. For people who don't live in Melbourne, (laughs) Chapel Street boutiques aren't quite a thing anymore because unfortunately the retail space just isn't strong anywhere, let alone on Chapel Street. Chapel Street is basically just restaurants now. (laughs) But back in 2006, the retail space was booming. She was paid to attend this opening and she gave these quotes. She said, I've met the guy once. There is no affair. I would barely know what he looks like if I saw him again. Just because I'm single, anyone thinks they can say anything they want about me. It's really sad. I'm only 19. I find it really disturbing. It's just not fair at all. A sympathetic moment for Lara. I don't agree with lying, but I'm not sure that being accosted by newspapers is the moment that you're going to tell the world that actually you slept with this man and it's not very clear whether or not you knew he was married. No, she does go to the nth degree to lie here, but I agree with you. If I was 19 and someone put me on the spot and I wasn't given or hadn't prepared an answer... I'm not quite sure how I would have responded either. Yeah, it's like, mate, I'm here to look hot and open this store. I'm really not here to answer questions about this very serious incident I found myself in the middle of. I mean, I lie when my sister used to ask me if I was stealing her clothes as I was wearing (laughs) them to her face. So I can't say I would have done much better. But unfortunately for Lara, in that same week, a voicemail that contradicted this very story, this very denial, was leaked to the tabloids. Yeah, it all went down within seven days that we had the Alex Favola speaking to News Corp, the Lara Bingle denial and then somehow a voicemail of Lara reaching out to Brendan and asking why he was screening her calls found its way into the media. Yeah, that's coming up after the break. But for now, a word from today's sponsor. So, Mish, just before the break, we were speaking about this voicemail in particular that kind of blew everything up. But I Mm. want to know, why was she leaving him a voicemail in the first place? So, Lara left Brendan a voicemail because basically she wanted answers. She felt like she had been the 2006 version of Ghosted after one phone call where things seemed to fall apart. So, she says that she was on the phone with Brendan catching up with him about their week and she heard a baby crying in the background. Now, as a 19-year-old who thinks they're just sleeping with this man, having fun, a crying baby, is a bit of a question mark. She asked, what's with the baby? What's going on? (laughs) He said, it's my child. And apparently the truth, this is according to Lara, of Brendan's relationship and family status unraveled from there. Yeah. And that's when she started calling him demanding answers. And that is when she says he started ignoring her calls. So she had to leave him voicemails. And we don't know how, and we don't know exactly when, but sometime around here, Brendan's wife, Alex, accessed what the media called a rambling voice message to Favola that she believed at the time was from Lara. Yeah. According to reports at the time, the voicemail that Lara left Brendan discussed how she was planning, and I quote, on coming back to Melbourne on Tuesday and would love him to pick her up. She also reportedly said things like, I feel like I'm talking to a brick wall right now. Can you call me? Anyway, I'm going to stop talking on this voicemail because I hate voicemails. Same. Also hate (laughs) voicemails, never listen to them, never leave them. But Alex Favola reportedly heard this voice message, then decided to call the number back to get to the bottom of who exactly it was. Kim Wilson at News Corp reported that Lara Bingle picked up the phone and said, it's Lara. And Alex immediately 
hung up the phone. Yeah, I think the quote from friends of Alex who spoke to Kim Wilson at News Corp was that she felt physically ill when she heard this and hung up. Things got pretty messy from here on out. So Alex's parents, Brendan's parents-in-law, were reportedly the ones who decided to take the story public. They contacted editors within the local media and released the voicemail. So suddenly this voicemail of Lara calling Brendan is not just a private voicemail. Anyone with a computer or a phone has Mm. access to it. And she's suddenly in this middle of this love triangle affair scandal and every television station, radio show and website knew exactly how much every Australian wanted to read about it. It was everywhere. Which is interesting for the time as well. I feel like if this happened today, it would be treated very differently. But this is 2006, what, 15 years ago. And it seemed like everyone was hellbent on depicting Lara Bingle in a certain way. Like everyone was very determined to make Lara Bingle the teenage villain in this story. Even the fact that Alex Favola's parents were reportedly the ones to leak this to the media and kind of go for Lara, I think speaks volumes as to where we were societally at the time. Yeah, it's a long time ago. It was 15 years we're talking about and she was just a teenager. And I think it's really interesting to look at a story like this and think about whether it would be reported that differently or not. I mean, I think we have still a habit, even in 2021, of painting the female as like the seductress, Mm. as the one that's kind of casting a spell on a guy and suddenly he had no power in the scenario but he also was the one that was married and he had two kids at home but the onus was very much put on her for the downfall of this marriage yeah which I can't imagine happening to you at 18 or 19 like I at 18 or 19 was absolutely not equipped for what came Lara Bingle's way so we have very little comment even today from Brendan's perspective on this affair he did mention it very briefly in a 2012 memoir called in my own words and he wrote this I was struggling to adapt to having a new baby in the house so I broke my drinking drought on Mad Monday and from there I went crazy staying away from home for days on end Alex became really angry and soon our relationship began to break down amid all that chaos I started an affair with someone out of respect for my family and my kids I do not want to talk about that situation in any detail it's already been well documented let's just say I was young and dumb and I made a big mistake and I think that's about as far as we've got a confession from Brendan Favola about this. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. On top of that passage in his memoir, he did go on a current affair alongside his wife, Alex, and they did speak very uncomfortably in quite a tense exchange about the Lara Bingle affair. Alex Favola did give quotes that alluded to Lara being, and I'm quoting this in air quotes, obsessive of being a homewrecker. And I definitely don't necessarily judge Alex Favola for that. I don't agree with that decision, but I also can't necessarily relate to the feeling of having your marriage, your fresh marriage, and only like what, 11 month old marriage, torn to shreds in the public eye. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you've got two kids at home. So she was understandably furious. And I think it's a really fair point to make that you nor I would have any appreciation or understanding for how hard that would be, particularly Mm. it being so public. Mm. She told Confidential that Lara had ruined a family. Alex also told the media, I've got two children at home and their lives and mine have been turned upside down, but she doesn't seem to care about that at all. 
Lara addressed the press about it only a handful of times. Mm. I think in one instance, she told News Corp, I'm only 19. I was young and single and I thought I had met a guy who was really nice. I don't want to blame anyone. A lot of people have been hurt, not just my family, but their family as well. I know I would hate for it to happen if I was married. I can't imagine what she was going through or went through and I don't really want to add to it. In hindsight, it was a big mistake and I think it happened because I was just too trusting. I am really impressed by that level of maturity. Maturity. What do you think about that quote to the media from a 19-year-old? No, I think it's incredibly mature and I think it's obvious having done a lot of research into Lara Bingle that there are a few times in her career where perhaps she hasn't surrounded herself by the smartest PR people or mm. the people that maybe have her best interests at heart. But clearly when this quote was said, she was around the right people because I think that is absolutely the right thing to say. Whether or not she knew he was married or not, the point feels a bit moot to me now yes. because it's like she was 19. Yes, they might have fucked up. It was a couple of weeks. I thought you were about to say yes they might have fucked. No, I wasn't going to say that. It's not a a crude podcast. It's just revisiting old stories. But like, yes, they might have made some big mistakes, but it's 15 years on. Yeah. I also, as much as I find sex scandals interesting and as much as I care about romantic affairs, I'm not sure how seriously to take them. They're very, very common. I definitely take it more seriously from Brendan's perspective than I do Lara's. He's the one who made vows. And even then, I think people can redeem themselves after romantic affairs or sexual affairs and grow from them. Well, I think even just listening to a bit of Esther Perel, who is, you know, one of the world's leading experts in relationships, and especially when it comes to cheating and affairs, is that... I think we are very quick to deem anyone evil for having an affair. That said, I do think that affairs are very personal. If something Mm. happened in my relationship, I'm not going to be this relaxed about it. Mm. It is just a very personal thing and you have no idea what's going on with any party involved for it to actually happen. I think it really harks back to our tendency to kind of see people in binaries that if you're a cheater you're always a cheater or you're a bad person when in reality we know people have so many more layers all of this said I'm very impressed by that statement from Lara Bingle particularly given the way the media spoke about her at this time the media was brutal and they were unflinching in how they wrote about Lara Bingle here's one introduction to a piece in the Daily Telegraph announcing Lara's new love interest on January 8 2007 so this broke in December 2006 by January she was linked to Michael Clark a test cricketer for Australia and this is what the Daily Telegraph wrote Keen sports fan Lara Bingle appears to have been bowled over by test cricketer Michael Clark less than a month after she was blamed for ruining AFL star Brennan Favola's marriage. A couple of things. Keen sports fan? Yeah. Like, keen sports fan is the most just bullshit cheap shot at it's someone. It's cheap shot. Because what? She's a model who's been linked to two different sports stars. It's kind of got this undertone of gold digger. It's very sarcastic as well. It's gross. And then on top of that, blamed for ruining AFL star Brendan Favola's marriage. If anyone's ruining that marriage, it's the people within the marriage. To understand why the media was so profoundly slut-shaming, I think what we need to do, Mish, is to look at how Lara Bingle was photographed, written about and positioned in 2006. From the second that she stepped into the spotlight, it feels like the tabloid media was kind of hell-bent on pushing her beyond the realm of bikini model into that of, like, sex symbol. And we Mm. are still talking about an 18 or 19-year-old. And sometimes this was completely against her own will. Because we were first introduced to Lara Bingle in a bikini, that's all we can imagine her as. And that's all we reduced her to in the public eye for many years after. A three-second clip. Like a three-second clip defined this woman's public image for so long after the fact. So 
We are going to rewind slightly here because I think to really understand what was going on, we need to speak about Zoo Weekly and what happened between Zoo Weekly and Lara Bingle. So on March 27, 2006, Lara Bingle woke up to find her face and her body on the cover of Zoo Weekly. So let's talk about Zoo Weekly. They were pretty gross. This was a time when they were only fresh on the block in Australia. I believe Zoo Weekly had been created in the UK in 2004, was doing super, super well amongst male audiences. They would publish, of course, raunchy photos of female celebrities or female sex workers. They would also, though, post quite disgusting, like, animal story headlines or just really vile, like, vomit stories, really weird amalgamation of stuff. Yeah, I think vile is pretty fair. Do you remember the time that they held a search for Australia's hottest asylum seeker? Mm. And I think that very much speaks to the tone of how disgusting this magazine was. So yeah, you're right. It started in the UK in 2004. By 2006, you know, the big wigs up at Zoo Weekly wanted to make a real splash down under. And I think what they decided to do was really profit off the publicity that this 18 or 19 year old by the name of Lara Bingle was getting. Yeah. So they published what they called a world exclusive shoot with Lara Bingle. And she was put on the cover of their March edition. The cover shot was Lara in a bikini. It was pretty standard, but inside another photograph of a bikini clad Lara had a speech bubble over it bearing the words, I'll make you come. Yeah, it's just gross. And I think the other thing to note here is the cover was accompanied by a press release from Zoo that declared Lara Bingle poses topless for new men's magazine. The clincher in this story though is that the photos absolutely were not a world exclusive. Mm -hmm. In fact, Lara had never posed for Zoo magazine at all. The photos were from a another photo shoot she did to boost her modelling career and help flesh out another photographer's portfolio of work, which is very common in the Mm. industry. And now they had been lifted by Zoo without her knowledge. She absolutely had not given the magazine permission to use these photos, let alone permission to use the words or write the words, I'll make you come across her face. It's just like so disgusting and degrading. Yeah, and we'll add this to the fact, one more thing here as well, Mish, is that the claims that she was topless were completely fake. She was wearing bathers in every single photo. I just, like, the fact that they tried to get away with this, and I mean they didn't, but the fact they even tried to, and the fact that a boardroom of men thought that they could go after a teenage girl just makes me so mad. Like it makes me so mad that this would have happened to her and she would have woken up and all of these people walking past that magazine at their local Woolies and Coles would have thought, oh, great. So she's got her kid off in a men's magazine and this is a decision that Lara Bingle has made for her career. Yeah, exactly. And so Lara found lawyers, understandably, and she sued Zoo Weekly's publisher EMAP for defamation, misleading conduct and breach of copyright and filed papers to the federal court. The papers claimed at the time that the imputation that Lara was, and we quote, the sort of model who would invite the readers of a smutty men's magazine to achieve sexual pleasure as a result of looking at photos of her was damaging to her reputation. And Mm. that is exactly what you just said, Mish. It's absolutely right. It's the inference that when people are walking past this magazine, who have no sense of context, who have no sense that she didn't give anyone permission to use this, now think that she is the kind of girl who wants this, which is fine if that's what someone wants, but it's not what she wanted. It's also the sad state of media and how we construct stories in that the headlines about Lara Bingle posing topless for Zoo would have undoubtedly received more traction and gotten more time in the limelight than the headlines that actually this story was bullshit because the public loves a story about a woman who wants to find empowerment in her sexuality. They 
don't necessarily love a story that corrects the record that a woman has been abused by a bunch of men in a boardroom. Yeah, interestingly, and probably not surprisingly, EMAP, obviously the publisher of Zoo Weekly, argued in that court case that the magazine itself was not smutty at all and just a humorous magazine. Because mm. as you know, every male can just get away with anything by saying it was a joke. Mm. Everyone should be happy to know that Zoo Weekly died in October 2015, but that, as I said, was still nine years <sighs> after they were first created and nine years after this story. Yeah, and this was really the first time that the public and the media tried to portray Lara Bingle as someone who was thirsty for fame and attention, but also thirsty for men. This is where that gold digger, keen sports fan bullshit rhetoric began earlier. Like this was, no matter what way you cut it, a teenager who was like ruthlessly manipulated by the media for profit. She was objectified and sexualized against her will. But the narrative that was spun and swallowed by all of us was that Lara Bingle was a harlot and someone who was going to use her sexual prowess to get whatever man she desired to do whatever she wanted. Yeah, exactly. And it is incredibly hard as a young woman, I think, to go back through a lot of this coverage and read a lot of the stuff that was written about her at the time because it's incredible that she's been able to make a career after it because what we wanted to do to her reputation is unfathomable to me. Mish, we've given that Zoo Weekly interlude. I want to go to 2007 now because this is when we enter the Michael Clark era. Yeah, and Michael Clark, as we mentioned earlier, was a massive name in Australian cricket, a massive sporting star. He also, as well as Lara, had that blonde, beachy <laughs> vibe I don't on. think it was natural blonde, though. As a non-natural <laughs> blonde, I'm hardly one to critique. But it was like spiky blonde tips. Yeah, which was all the rage in 2006 and seven. This was like the look. So in February, Lara and Michael Clark made a big debut as a couple at the Allen Border Medal. For those who aren't into cricket, that's like the Brownlow Medal or the Delhi M. Is it the Delhi? Yeah, medal for yeah, NRL. It's like the league, it's like the league best and fairest, right? It's the league's night of nights. So these two stepped out and instantly became like bona fide gold stars of Australia. They were both the hottest thing in tabloid culture. They were on the cover of every celebrity magazine. They had this beautiful, glowing, beachy look to them both. And they were it. They were our it couple instantly. The photos from this Alan Border medal, Mish, I feel like are pretty iconic. We have Michael there and his streaky blonde tips and his like waxy, spiky hair, which is all very 2007 <laughs> with an earring in one ear. Lara was glowing in like this blue one-shoulder gown with, with big silver hoops. They were young and attractive and very happy, mm. but the media just could not help but take their pot shots at 19-year-old Lara. Like I think of one of the more shitty quotes from the media around this time was the opening line of a Sydney Confidential article that described Michael's ex-girlfriend as the the latest casualty in model Lara Bingle's pursuit of champion sportsmen. She's being painted as a fucking axe murderer. Like there are all these dead people in her way. It gets even worse. I found this from sports journalist Peter Roebuck. He described Lara Bingle as, and I quote, beautiful but possibly unstable young woman with bad manners and headstrong ways. He also said she craves attention and courts controversy and is kind of a waif-like figure supposedly in need of protection. The real clincher of this article came when Roebuck contrasted Bingle, apparently the woman you don't want your son or your favourite sportsman to marry, to the ones that top-class sportsmen apparently should marry. He said that sports people should date women who sustain stable family lives and solid homes as their husbands soared and sank. 
Women who understood their role and did not make any extra demands. Ah, those needy, demanding women. It does feel like a tale as old as time, as if the men in this scenario, like Michael Clark and Brendan Favola, have absolutely no agency and no power. Like, as we said earlier, she casts a spell and boom, she steals them away from their lives. Mm, there was another article published in The Age in January 2007 that commented, in less than a year, Lara Bingle has morphed into a combination of Cleopatra, Marta Hari and Paris Hilton, all wrapped up in one voluptuous man-eating, wife-terrifying, 19-year-old package. I know I've said it like so many times already, but 19. Like we're doing this to a fucking teenager. Exactly. And it definitely should be noted about that line that you read out, Mish, is that was an article in defence of Lara Bingle, but it was trying to capture the mood of how we were trying to paint Lara at that time. The journalist behind that article did speak to Dr Anna Hickey Moody at the time from Monash University's Faculty of Education. And for this article, Dr Hickey Moody said, the coverage of Lara reflects a variety of anxieties. Lara is the young woman from Cronulla, an area that has been grossly stigmatised in the media, represented as an abject place, and she's seen as a vagabond female who is ruled by her sexuality. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, we're putting all the question marks onto Lara Bingle's actions. We're treating her with this complete suspicion, this complete contempt, and yet people like Brendan Favola don't have the same headlines. Brendan Favola is reckless and he's a bad boy. But silly, silly boy. Yeah, like it's very much that, oh, boys make mistakes. Like he'll grow into himself one day and yet he's seven years older than Lara but we're treating Lara like this incredibly mature incredibly manipulative person who knows precisely what she's doing and is scheming to get her way. I find that that difference really interesting that we're almost infantilizing Brendan Favola, that he possibly couldn't know what decisions to make. He's at the whim of his like impulses and his sexual desires. Lara Bingle, though, is in this for the long haul. Like she's seen years into the future and she's really going after exactly what she wants. I think the thing that really sticks out to me when I think about how we paint men and women very differently in scenarios like this is that when men make mistakes in scenarios like this, we're always commenting on the fact they have a good heart. Like the guys have a good heart, but they just sort of fucked up around that good heart. The woman never has a good heart. She is, as you say, incredibly scheming. She's like Medusa. Exactly. Anyway, beyond all of that, as a couple, Lara and Michael were super, super marketable. They were the joint faces of energy drink, Synergy Drinks, in a deal worth a reported hundreds of thousands of dollars. Lara was an official ambassador of Vodafone and Speedo, and people were starting to call them the Australian versions of David and Victoria Beckham. Yeah, they were a hot commodity. So they were even asked about this parallel, and Michael did shrug it off. He told the media, it's certainly a compliment, but Lara and I don't see ourselves as David and Victoria. We've obviously never met them, and they're international celebrities. (laughs) and they have been very successful over a long period of time in their own individual fields. Lara's chasing her goals being a model and I'm trying to become the best cricketer I can be. So that's probably our focus at the moment. I mean, fair call. (laughs) Things with Lara and Michael at this point in time seem pretty good. Like they both seem to be thriving both in the public eye and away from it. They move in together. Lara starts travelling with Michael's cricket team when she's not working on her own stuff. And then on the 25th of March 2008, they properly sealed the deal. Michael proposed to Lara in New York, popping the question at the Rockefeller Centre ice skating rink after a horse and carriage ride through Central Park with a 4.6 carriage diamond ring reportedly worth a cool 200 grand he was 27 she was 20 
What a proposal. Is that what you'd be into? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> probably something a bit more low-key. But it speaks to how old they were, right? Like this yeah. is a fairy tale. She's 20 and she's it's engaged an... to the love of her life so far. It's absolutely a fairy tale. And I wonder, do you remember the photos of their engagement party? No. It was like this lavish party to say the least. They had 300 of their closest family and friends and they celebrated at Sydney's Luna Park, <laughs> of course. That's what I would want to do at 20 <laughs> as well. I know. New Idea reportedly paid six figures for exclusive access to images of the party. So they were able to sell this stuff for such a huge amount of money. They were able to sell themselves for a huge amount of money, their brand. Yeah, a hugely exciting time in Lara Binger's life. We need to say, though, a couple of months later, very, very sadly, she did lose her dad to bowel cancer and she was understandably devastated about that. She did get the words, wish you were here, tattooed on her wrist as a tribute to her dad. She also made a promise to him before he died that she would champion the important work of Bowel Cancer Australia, that she would really tie herself to the cause and use her platform in any way that she could to spread awareness. And she is stuck to that some 15 years later. Like she's still regarded as doing incredible and a lot of work for Bowel Cancer Australia. I mean, unbelievably, the media even still came for Lara over her commitment to the charity and not her commitment to her fiancé's sport. I mean, they were accusing her of missing important cricket functions so that she could film content for them. There was this piece in the Daily Telegraph at the time that read, Lara Bingle has answered criticism that she failed to attend a WAGS event, saying she was filming a community service announcement for Bowel Cancer Australia. The fact she even has to answer to the media in that context, like, you're a WAG, therefore you must give up every part of yourself, including your passion for bowel cancer prevention and treatment so that your husband, fiancé, boyfriend can just have you in the stands at a cricket game or, like, be able to look to the crowd and see you. Like, you're just this puppet who exists to orbit around him at all times of the day. Yeah, there is very much a narrative. And you know what? I think there still is about what is a good, and I say this in inverted commas, wag. And that is someone that gives up almost all of themselves to support their husband or partner's sporting career. And I feel very much like coverage around this speaks to, it doesn't even matter if it was a charity thing. It's like she shouldn't even be working. There should be no Mm -hmm. reason that she should miss an event where all the other partners get together. She said at the time about this, I feel like they're making me the Lindsay Lohan of Australia, insinuating that the media wanted to paint her as like this pretty girl with a zero substance. She was so perceptive of what was happening to her from the earliest of days, which I find super interesting as well, that even in the midst of it all, she knew what people were trying to do and she was calling it out when she was so young. Thankfully, things did die down a little bit for Michael Clark and Lara Bingle because they were so happy together and because they were so madly in love. The media mostly let them be. They were pretty happy for Lara and Michael to continue on their ways. And between 2008 and 2009, there wasn't really many snarky headlines. Like things seemed to be very cruisy. They were going to really glamorous events together. Lara was traveling sometimes with Michael to support his cricket career. Other times was focusing on her modeling career and things were pretty chill. Yeah, they were living in Bondi in a pretty luxurious pad and things did seem pretty great. Only fast forward to March 2010. This is two years after the big engagement and nearly two years after the tragic loss of her dad. And somehow Lara was plunged right back into the putrid pit of the Brendan Favola affair again. I mean, sure, it ended three and a half years ago, Mish, and she had been with Michael for what felt like an eternity by this point. But all of a sudden there was a renewed feverish interest in what she was doing as a teenager and it was because there was a naked photo of her circulating and it was in one of the biggest women's magazines in the country. 
Yep. We are going to leave it there for today. That is part one. In part two, we will be exploring exactly how Australia responded to a nude image of Lara Bingle being circulated, the varying reports on how it came to be published in Woman's Day and what it meant for both her and Brennan Favola's careers. Yeah, this episode was researched by us, Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. You have been listening to Scandal by Shameless Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or click follow on Spotify to stay up to date with when new episodes are dropping. Every Monday, we will be bringing you a new Scandal episode. And on Thursdays, we will be getting you up to date on the week that was in pop culture. If you want to chat with us about this episode, if you have thoughts about what we shared, please come do that. We're on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and we actually will have a Lara Bingle thread. We're going to share all our favourite throwbacks from this 2006 to 2010 era. Come to that post. Have a chat. In the meantime, we'll be back in your ears on Thursday and then again on Monday for part two. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real-life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.